This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the latest edition of the show before the show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball as uh, we're coming to you, not live, but recorded for the uh, first time on my first new work laptop since 2016. I know you guys are very excited. My name is Tyler Ron, Benjamin Hill and Sam Dykstra in New York City. Did they throw I wasn't in the office. Did they throw a parade for my new laptop? Did they do anything to commemorate this? I mean, this is the second time you've talked about this in the span of 25 minutes. So yeah. I just assume they're throwing parades in Denver. Like I'm there's very, still one I'm going outside of your house right now. You're yeah, pausing it, from yeah, the it's parade. Like, it's like New Orleans. It's like I just hired a band. They're just marching around my neighborhood uh, just constantly in celebration. <laughs> there's three trombonists going around you, three jazz <laughs> trombonists, a, a tuba, a trumpet player as you're just yeah. holding aloft. It's amazing. Just the I'm just holding the laptop over my head for the remainder of the day today. Um, I'm very excited about it, and hopefully, it will result in uh, in smoother and clearer and better show before the show podcast episodes. Uh, Benjamin Hill back from the road. What's uh, what's going on, man? We're going to talk a little bit about the trip. We're going to talk about what's coming up for you. You got some more trips in the offing. Um, how are things? Yeah, they're going all right. I mean, uh, we're in it. We're in it now. We're in the busy season. Yeah. And it's uh, good to be back in that, uh, into that flow for a couple months now of uh, hitting the road pretty regularly and having a lot of, uh, you know, road trip material out there. I was in uh, Sugarland, just outside of Houston. It's about 20 miles uh, southwest, I believe, of Houston uh, to start things off on uh, this past Wednesday and Thursday, May 18th and 19th. And then I was in San Antonio on Friday the 20th. And um Round Rock on uh, Saturday, the the 21st. And uh, I had not seen the San Antonio Missions or the Round Rock Express uh, for eight years. So uh, it was one ballpark I had not been to in the form of uh, Sugarland Constellation Field. And then two I had not been to in eight years. Um, so Sugarland is a, an interesting place. And here's my analogy, which I think I said last week when I talked to you guys from Sugarland, but um, yeah, and I looked it up. Um, I compare it to Frisco. I'm just trying to make my own reference points. But it's the same sort of thing. If you look at Sugarland, you know, which is just outside of Houston, in 1980 there were less than 10,000 people living there, and now there are uh, over 110,000, and you know, still growing. You know, it's very much a, a town of, you know, Texas, Texas-sized sprawl in a suburban community. Uh, because it's grown so much in recent years, it's you know, like kind of a master-planned community. And you know, the downtown I was speaking to you guys uh, from last week was, um, you know, everything seemed new. And uh, so it's, it's a very suburban, uh, very uh, comparatively upscale sort of place, at least in terms of uh, where I was able to explore. Um, you know, Sugarland had not had professional baseball until the arrival of the Skeeters in 2012, initially an independent Atlantic League team. And so to say a lot has happened there in 10 years is an understatement. I mean, first of all, just getting that team off the ground at a very nice ballpark, Constellation Field. And, you know, they had their highlights through the years. Um, in addition to the on-field stuff, well, this is also on-field stuff, but, you know, they had Roger Clemens pitch for them at the age of 50 in 2012. They had Tracy McGrady pitch for them uh, post-NBA retirement in 2014. Um, you know, they had a lot of Atlantic League history, then were bought by the Astros, and uh, then they rebranded as the Space Cowboys. You know, we've talked about this on the show quite a bit over the years. So to go to the stadium and to talk to people, uh, such as longtime fans, uh, the PA announcer had been there for a while, the general manager, um, Tyler Stam had been there since the beginning, you know, he was hired in 2012 as an intern. Um, and then, you know, talking to people from the Astros who were there, uh, you know, who have a very heavy role now in the day-to-day operations of the club, um, not just Sugarland, but all their affiliates and especially the other affiliates they own being double A Corpus Christi and, uh, low A Fayetteville or single A Fayetteville. Mm-hmm. They do not own a high A Asheville. Um, 
So it was also interesting, you know, to, to get a sense of, I think, what is more and more a common arrangement in minor league baseball. You know, we have Veronica Hernandez on the podcast this week, uh, general manager of the Seattle Mariners uh, or the, the uh, Modesto Nuts. That team is owned by the Seattle Mariners. Um, you know, obviously, if you work in minor league baseball, uh, you're going to have a lot of contact with the parent club. But now with teams uh, owning MLB teams, owning the minor league affiliates, um, you know, a lot of the uh, operations are you know that much more. Uh, controlled by Major League Baseball, or at least the Major League Baseball team having input. And for example, in Sugarland, um, you know, that Space Cowboys rebranding from the Skeeters, that was, you know, an Astros initiated rebranding. And um, it was interesting to go to the ballpark and see, you know, just how much they put into, you know, rebranding the ballpark in a Space Cowboys themed way. You know, the team store is Galaxy Gifts, which was, and I learned this, uh, the name of the first team store in the Astrodome. And, um, a whole ton of uh, you know ballpark improvements, both on the player amenity level and uh, the fan facing side. Uh, one of the biggest playgrounds, as I mentioned last week, in all of minor league baseball, the Kitty Corral. Um, you know that they added the female locker rooms. Uh, you know, expanded the weight rooms, clubhouses, playing field. Uh, you know, was greatly overhauled. So it's a whole new era there in Sugarland. It's been interesting to finally get there and then see the growth firsthand. So I'll have a lot of stuff on milb.com uh, related to that. Um, in the very near future. And um, yeah, then I got to go to San Antonio and Round Rock as well. Only three ballparks. I used to go to, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 teams on a trip. I don't know how I did that, but I was a younger man. Yeah. And how does your thought process kind of shift when you're going from Sugarland, where everything is new to you, everything you feel like you have to take in and, you know, jot down in some way, document on social media, what have you, to San Antonio and Round Rock, like you said, where you have been before, but it was eight years ago and some things could have changed. Some things could have stayed the same, like just in terms of your prep for going to those two places. What is, how does that change? Yeah. Well, in terms of preparation, there's not only so much you can do in advance It's outside of like reaching out to the team, hopefully getting a few story ideas in advance, uh, laying the groundwork. So it's kind of similar from place to place, but you know, within the case of San Antonio, it becomes, you know, compare and contrast. And, you know, know, I look at my stuff from the previous visit and then try to see what's new. Uh, The missions, you know, play at Nelson Wolf Stadium, which was built in the mid 90s and is definitely an older ballpark. I mean, I think, you know, there's been a push for a long time to get a new ballpark. I mean, I think that'd be great to see in San Antonio. I mean, that's a huge market. Um, It could definitely, I think, do well with the new ballpark uh, for sure. I personally like Nelson Wolf Stadium. it's idiosyncratic. There's a big footprint and it's, there's all sorts of odd angles and, uh, you know, room to move and, you know, open grassy areas and, uh, you know, trees out front. Um, when you're there, it's one of those ballparks that, you know, you're there because it, it has a kind of unique layout and, uh, does not immediately remind me of, of any other ballparks. Uh, so it was good to see that. I was dismayed to learn that, um, Henry, the puffy taco is no longer part of the team's mascot squad. You know, Henry's puffy taco, is the name of a restaurant uh, that invented the puffy taco. And uh, I guess that partnership was not renewed, but Balapeno was still there, uh, which was good to see. And um, I also got to talk to big Mike Garcia, the bat boy, who was a bat boy in Sugarland for a lot of years before moving to San Antonio. And, uh, you know, I always like to highlight, you know, the interesting characters at the ballpark, uh, such as big Mike Garcia, uh, you know, people who've been working in minor league baseball for a long time, you know, forging relationships throughout and uh, the kind of person the fan might not see, but are a big part of the ballpark experience. And, uh, you know, it's kind of the same thing with Round Rock, just, you know, compare and contrast. And that is a beautiful ballpark. Just going there, Dell Diamond, uh, just remembering like, wow, this is still a premier facility. They've done you know a lot of improvements there, too. Um, they have the home run dugout in center field which is a group area party area that you can run out, which has this huge uh, like virtual batting cage essentially, where you can customize the background to any number of different ballparks and um, you know, hit some balls into the screen. And I think the farthest ball I hit was like 220 feet or something like that. And uh, didn't go too well for me. You could have lied. You could have said anything and we would have believed you. Yes. But part of being Ben's biz has been maintaining a reputation for honesty and integrity throughout the entirety of my career. So I'm not about to uh, besmirch that reputation now on something so mundane as how far I hit a ball in the home run dugout at the Dell Diamond. Well, what background did you use then? Uh, I did use uh, Citizens Bank Park. uh, (laughs) Home of the Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah. The ball flies out of there. So I'm told, but not Not the home run dugout. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it didn't go too well. Plus I was crashing a party just as like a writer who just wanted to you know, see it. And there were some 
big dudes like who's this guy and then i got self-conscious that's what it was yeah it happens um so you can catch uh ben's uh words from the road milb.com you can also subscribe to ben's newsletter at milb.com as well and um we obviously are you know three three idiots who uh talk about um very escapist things on a podcast but um it has not been a good week for Texas or for uh, any of the rest of us um, across the country. And we did not want to ignore that. Um, you know, obviously our words are pretty weak and, and fruitless, but um, the the heartbreak of something like what happened in, uh, in Uvalde, Texas this week is um, something that we're, we're all way too familiar with and something that um, very much needs to change. And um, you know, there, there's not a lot that we can say, um, but somebody who is, uh, you know, part of our team who was there last week, I'm actually headed to Texas next week um, on a, a road trip with uh, my girlfriend to go visit her family who lives in Texas. Um, it's something that we at least wanted to, uh, to touch on. And, um, you know, like I said, uh, very fruitless for uh, us to uh, try to give any words of wisdom or enlightenment or, uh, or anything like that. But, um, we are uh, a podcast and uh, an industry that hopes to pr- provide people with, uh, you know, some escapism and some some smiles and things for uh, even uh, the roughest times uh, in life. And uh, we try to push on with that throughout minor league baseball. And um, we are uh, a group of guys who have gotten a chance to visit a lot of cool places across the country and um, see minor league baseball in all those places. And I know Ben for, uh, for you now, you know, getting into this season and being back on the road and being back in relatively normal ballpark um, circumstances and in situations and all that, you've got more, coming up and i know uh the next trip still kind of in the the formulation stage but uh what are the the next destinations for you yeah the next trip is is coming up soon and, and definitely tyler i mean i i know it's, it's so hard to to speak about what happened in uvalde and or to find something to say that means anything and um yeah coming back from this texas trip and um you know, having San Antonio be, you know, about an hour and a half away, which is pretty close by, you know, the state of Texas standards, um, you know, such a big state. Um, you know, it, it was tough to just be like, oh, here's, it is tough just to be like, oh, here's this fun stuff. And um, yeah, yesterday at work, it was just like, how does what we do matter at all? Yeah. And, um, yeah. and what we're talking about now matter at all. But I feel like these are probably conversations people are having, you know, across all different lines of work. And um, I guess all you can do is keep doing what you're doing, but it is, it is really hard to, to do. And sometimes I want to say a lot about these things, you know, and then I just feel, what am I going to be saying that isn't being said or isn't being yelled at, or somehow would for some reason be seen as being, you know, divisive. And it's just, it's it's a pretty helpless feeling um but yeah we just keep moving along and i'm gonna keep moving along on the road um i gotta get this set up i gotta get the logistics set up because it's coming soon i'm heading on the road next week uh going to hartford on friday june 2nd i haven't even reached out to the teams yet maybe they'll listen to this tomorrow and be like, what? <laughs> um no i'm gonna reach out today uh hartford on uh, friday and then saturday new hampshire fisher cats are playing as the chicken tenders which were allegedly invented in manchester new hampshire uh doing that and uh, visiting family for a couple days in the general new england area and massachusetts specifically um and then uh after a couple days away from the road i'm gonna head up to portland where your friend and mine everyone's friend Josh Jackson resides and uh, I'll meet up with him and we're going to hit a Portland Sea Dogs game on Tuesday, June 7th. And uh, looking forward to seeing Josh and, and getting back out there and doing that. So uh, hitting three ballparks uh, in the very near future. Then I'll come back and I'll have a lot of material. I'm sure I'll still have stuff from the Texas road trip and then stuff from those ballparks. And uh, I'll settle in for a few weeks and then the next trip will be in late June. But uh, yeah, it is good, good to be back out there. Um, yeah, but it's strange times all around. I do uh, have to jump in and say that I texted Josh Jackson last week because I saw my first Portland Red Snappers hat in the wild. The Red Snappers, it's an alternate identity for Portland. It's a a hot dog uh, of regional repute. I don't really know what makes a Red Snapper um, the, the unique and cool thing that it is. It's a red hot dog, which 
I went to college in the University of Nebraska. There's a company in the state of Nebraska that also makes red hot dogs. So I'm familiar with that concept. Um, but I saw the red snappers hat for the first time in the wild. I was very excited about it. Texted Josh immediately. And I'm a little jealous that, uh, that you're going to get to go there and see him because Josh regularly tells me about like the cool places to go eat and, you know, fish and do cool stuff in Portland. And I need to plan a trip to go out and see him. Um, I'm very jealous that you get a chance to, to be there very soon. Yeah. I'd be jealous of me if I wasn't me. Um, it'll be fun. Um, you know, and Josh and I have some similar sensibilities. We'll probably, uh, you know, haunt some dusty bookshops and um, go out to a bean supper. Yeah, go out to a bean supper. Yeah, I would nice love bean to. Supper. I would love to get a bean supper with Josh Jackson. Um, yeah, maybe spend some time in the great outdoors, um, get some little lads popcorn. Um, who knows? Whoopie we'll pie. Yeah, whoopie pie. Know. I'll get Josh Jackson to be my designated eater for some for some whoopie yeah. pie. It won't even be at the ballpark. It'll just be the general main scene. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. he's self-conscious. He'll probably do it behind closed doors and just yell some quotes to me. <laughs> oh, man. Benjamin Hill, you can find on Twitter at Ben's Biz. You can check out uh, all of his stuff, of course, at MILB.com. And uh, you can subscribe to the newsletter there as well. And uh, enjoy the next trip, man. We'll, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, talk to you next week. Uh, I guess probably right before I go on the road. Who knows? We'll deal with next week, next week. But for now, we're living in the present. And uh... Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Here on the Show Before the Show podcast, Myself, Ben Hill, along with Tyler Mon and Sam Dykster are joined by Veronica Hernandez, the general manager of the Modesto Nuts. Veronica, thanks for being here today. Thank you for the invite. Now, you got hired, uh, well, you've been working for the team for a number of years, but you were named the general manager uh, just earlier this month. And, you know, along with that announcement, you know, it was noted that you were the first Latina general manager in all of minor league baseball. As someone who's written about minor league baseball for a long time, I know it can be very hard sometimes to pinpoint the first or teams say they were the first and then you don't know to be sure, but um, this is a first and, uh, you know, very significant in the industry. And so just wanted to start off with that before we get into the specifics of your job is, you know, what does that mean for you to, to have that announcement and, you know, to be, to have a press release go out, you know, with that significant information and uh, you know, uh, how you approach that. It's an honor to be honest. It's one, an honor to have the opportunity to be in this position, but it's an honor to be the person that paves the way. You know, you never consider yourself that person. Um, when that, when the stat came out, I was like, Whoa, yeah. Wow. So, and keep going, you know, it, it was a statistic that I'm proud to, to pave the way, but that's, I don't, it's not the motivation that's pushing me forward to making sure that I run the best organization I can. So it is an honor. I'm excited. I'm very excited on what this means, especially to this local community being half Latino. And it's crazy seeing like little girls come up to me and knowing the information and the news and everything and making a difference in their lives. Yeah. And now to go back a little bit, um, you know, tell us how you got into this industry in the first place and your path to where you are now. Uh, a little bit of a, of a miracle. Um, I uh, graduated uh, um, college in 2013. I always knew I wanted to work in sports. Unfortunately, the cards were not dealt to me uh, at that time. So I started working a ton of odd jobs and random industries. So I worked in the financial industry. I've worked in education. I've worked in the medical industry, just everything. Uh, because once I figured out that I wasn't going to land that sports job, I was like, well, I'm going to pay off my student loans. So uh, in a year and a half, I paid off my student loans. Uh, and then uh, I was able to focus on the sport industry. Uh, at that time, professors let me know like, Hey, it's not a high paying industry. So 
I think it was a little blessing and a curse that I didn't get it. Uh, didn't get any position uh, straight out of college because then now in the industry, I can focus on the job and the adult bills other than the college weight uh, on that as well. So from there, two years after graduation, I wanted, I had a second half at it. I was like, you know what? I'm not doing what I set out myself to do. So I'm going to try again. And uh, it was in different kind of spectrums. It was more of the educational route. And I was pursuing a master's degree and I didn't even get the chance to apply to a master's degree because um, one of the master's programs that I was looking at, their alum kind of recommended you need more sport experience. I worked for a couple uh, different sport entities uh, prior, but they wanted more. So it happened to be February, prime hiring season for baseball. And uh, pretty quickly, I landed an internship uh, at the Danbury Westerners, the New England Collegiate Baseball League. And from there, it was literally a snowball effect. I became a game day lead position within like a week. A week after that, I got a position in minor league baseball. And then after that, it was a full-time job. And then it's just been steamrolling literally ever since. Yeah, and you landed in Modesto now. And, and like you said, you, you know, you're from New England yourself. You have an experience in Ithaca. Now you're out there in California and you've risen through the ranks with the nuts. What makes you such a good fit with Modesto? Like how comfortable have you gotten in that specific community over the last few years? Pretty comfortable. Uh, when I was the director of marketing and promotions, the first thing I did was try in and immerse myself into the community. I wanted to learn what made it tick. I wanted to make sure I knew what were the factors of people coming out to the ballpark or what do they do for entertainment or what are the struggles and needs are of our community? So I did that fairly quickly. Uh, I would say within the first couple of months, I was in 10 different groups uh, from local neighborhood committees to larger uh, organizations. Just listening uh, was the biggest thing. And uh, luckily enough, I learned so much in that time. And from there, it was always like, how can we help? And we had so many programs already established that made it easy being like, oh, easy. We can sign up for that. And it was just like approving it because again, we already had the program set in place. We just didn't have an outlet for it. So I was finding outlets for those programs. And from there, uh, it just got me more and more uh, relationships throughout the city, throughout different nonprofit organizations, uh, city leadership in general. And, uh, I don't know. It just, it, again, it happened so fast where I just felt completely immersed. Um, when I first actually came to Modesto, I was just like, okay, cool. Like, this is where I want to be. Uh, something about the town um, made it stand out uh, compared to others. And luckily enough, I got the director of marketing role and kind of just immersed myself after that. Yeah. And if you can, if you can't, it's fine. But like, what did stand out? What made it feel like such a perfect puzzle piece fit? I think it was a big enough city, but small enough city, right? You're not dealing with the city traffic, so on and so forth. Can't find parking because I used to work in Manhattan. So it's like, you can't find parking. Um, so I definitely understand that feel. But the city was small enough where I grew up in a small town. So knowing, you know, your mayor or things of that nature were pretty normal uh, where I grew up. So having that small feel, but in a larger populated city, uh, that meshed well. And I think also the beauty of it too, uh, it just popped out at me. I was just like, oh, this is nice. And we had uh, pretty good art and culture around just to when you're walking around and looking uh, that I was just like, okay. It is that small city vibe where you can see that culture rise and they're just improving that every day, every month, every quarter, every year. They're just trying to build that uh, in the city sense. So it just naturally just felt like a good fit. Yeah. And before you were talking about when you were getting to know the community, there were some programs that are already in place. You guys just had to implement that. What were some of those programs? So we have the U.S. Bank Community Corner uh, where we donate 25 tickets to every game. Uh, so every time I went to these uh, organizational meetings, uh, nonprofit meetings, neighborhood meetings, it was always like, oh, what, what can the Nets do? And I was just like, well, we can donate tickets if, for example, like a graduating class of students or students that were struggling or whatever it was, 
that was easy. You know, we already have the program. I'm not doing anything out of norm. It was just making sure that we can fill it in all of those slots. And then simple requests like mascots going to school festivals and so on and so forth. We do that. So it was just a point person to connect the community with and just make that bridge because it's already being done. We just had needed more outlets. Veronica, from the standpoint of um, being somebody who gets to work so closely with the parent club of your team, um, you know, this would have been just as big of an accomplishment if this was an independently owned team, but to be a team that is so tied in with the Mariners to be named to that position by the Mariners, what does that mean knowing that you've got uh, the support of uh, an entire major league organization in this step? To be honest, I feel like they've made it a very easy transition. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have the support of the Mariners, legal team, accounting, HR, I'm even like the marketing department, production, uh, ground, so on and so forth. They've just been an absolute resource. And I honestly couldn't be lucky enough because I can't imagine being in a position where you're doing it all yourself. Like there's a lot of unknowns, a lot. Uh, and being in this position, you learn all of them fairly quickly. Uh, but luckily I, I do have that crutch. I do have that shoulder to lean on uh, when there's questions or I have hesitations. Uh, the weight isn't a hundred percent on my shoulders. Uh, I'm able to reach out and ask for help. And a lot of general managers don't have that. Uh, so I am very lucky. Uh, and to work for the Mariners, like I said, they're so helpful. Uh, and they, are supportive. I'm in constant communication with them like 30 times a day. Like I'm in communication with someone from the Mariners. So it's definitely unique in, in that support for sure. Let's talk about one of the things that uh, in minor league baseball has been such a tremendous success over the last couple of years, Copa de la Diversión, uh, the Alabrijes, that's the uh, the Modesto identity. And for somebody who gets to, you know, kind of help pilot that now uh, as a general manager, first off, what does that initiative mean uh, to you as somebody who gets to use that as a tool in the community and now being a GM, what are kind of the next steps for where you take that program with Modesto? So the initiative itself, I, I love the concept uh, because it's that bridge, right? It's that bridge of making uh, that particular demographic comfortable. And that's, what's most important to focus on because I understand that part, right? You understand when you don't fit it, you understand when you feel unsafe. Uh, and having a program to uh, ensure, hey, you're safe here, um, and it feels comfortable. It doesn't feel like you're out of place, I think is super important. Uh, and where we need to take the program, I think we're growing larger and larger. So we are partnering up with Health Plan of San Joaquin, and they're a great partner. They just are blowing it up every year more and more um, to integrate that bridge and make that comfortability and making sure we're reaching out in different aspects. So it's growing that more. Uh, I always challenge um, ourselves across the board. I want to do better, right? So we have roughly about 30% of our fans of the Latino background, but our population is close to 50%. So I want our fans to emulate what the population is. So we do have much to grow, but we are growing pretty quickly. I believe it was from 2019 to 2021. We had a 10% increase uh, in that demographic. So we're chugging along really well, uh, but there's always room to grow, even no matter if we get to that 50%. Uh, so it's making sure that we can bring in that entertainment and that entertainment is local. So it's just finding those resources um, and getting those point of contacts to be able to come out here and have that experience and have that immersive experience as well. And speaking of having, you know, the fan base, you know, reflect the, you know, the population of the market, you know, that principle should apply to the front offices as well in terms of people working in the front office, reflecting the community. There's been a big push for that in recent years. And I think there is, you know, honestly, still a long way to go across the industry to, to really reflect that. Um, you know, for someone in your position, Latina, now as a general manager, um, you know, what do you think is the key to, you know, diversifying front offices, um, you know, hiring perhaps with a different perspective and uh, really doing the work to diversify the front offices? It's super important, you know, like, especially um, having that particular person or those particular people even challenge you, right? Because having them in the office is only going to go so far, so far if they stand up for what they believe. Um, and that's not just to be argumentative and going back and forth. It's more so just to see that angle. 
Uh, and it's super important. So when I first started here with Modesto Nuts, I was the only Spanish speaker. So imagine like handling all the marketing, all the ticket inbound stuff, all the in-game needs, um, and also trying to do my job while also being the translator. Uh, now we have uh, three total Spanish speakers. So that relief is heavily off my shoulders. We have one in the ticket team. We have one in the marketing team. Uh, and that helps our communication immensely, um, not only on the player side, but also heavily on the, on the community side of things. So having those particular individuals in the office, I always lean on. So we have our digital um, marketing, or I'm sorry, digital content manager. I forgot his role for a second. Um, and we're always leaning on like, hey, like, let's make sure we're hitting the Latin population. How are we doing the campaigns? Lean on our ticket sales staff uh, that are Spanish speakers to know how to word things correctly. Because the other thing as well is that I have a Colombian background. So I have that upbringing and that understanding. But there are you know, words in Spanish that aren't similar, right? From Puerto Rico to the Dominican Republic to Venezuela, Colombia, Mexico, so on and so forth. I could be saying something inappropriate um, in Colombian Spanish, but it's totally fine in Mexican Spanish. So um, having that local background, understanding the local community being raised, because the two others are raised here. So they understand uh, this local community and specifically that demographic. So having those uh, two individuals here in the office just really helps formulate our marketing to be more encompassing to what we should be doing. And just to go back to something you were talking about earlier, um, in terms of your background, having to go through many different routes to get here, many different teams uh, to land where you are now, as you're kind of getting situated, again, it's, it's only been a couple of weeks that you've been officially GM, but as you're getting more comfortable in that role, you're going to be able to put more of your stamp on things in Modesto. So what is the Veronica Hernandez stamp going to be? Like, what are you hoping to kind of alter the course here of the Modesto nuts? So uh, it's actually more internal first. Uh, I want to have support for my staff. I want to make sure that they have what they need. Maybe if it's not specifically uh, due to budget reasons or so on and so forth, but having something, either if it's a plan C, plan D, plan E, whatever it is, to making sure that they can have that successful department. Uh, because without them being successful, how can I expect any change to happen uh, for the organization outbound bound to the community? Uh, when I came into this position, that's kind of where, you know, I, I led first is making sure that I supported my staff because they were, are the ones that are going to be taking care of our fans and operations and so on and so forth. Cool. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. And in terms of just the rest of the season now, you know, we do have a, a remainder of a 2022 season to go. What can fans in the Modesto area or anybody hoping to travel there uh, to catch a nuts game the rest of the way, what can they look forward to? Just a change in uh, promotions. We always try and stay on our toes, uh, especially when it comes to the entertainment side, our uh, production and creative services manager, um, our community relations manager who handles game day entertainment, they're putting their heart and soul into it and making sure that we have a great entertainment for the fans, either if it's on the video board or on the fields with on-field games and so on and so forth. We're trying to improve little things every day to make it more fun for fans, more easier to execute and, and so on and so forth that they want to come back. That's always the goal. And that was the goal in marketing, right? The ticket team brings the people here. We want to make sure that they return. So that's still the goal and that will always be the goal. Yeah. And speaking, you know, more specifically about what it's like to attend a game in Modesto, it's been a number of years since I've been there, but I think of, you know, classic cars and American graffiti, um, at, uh, certainly the nuts mascots, uh, Al and Wally and Shelly, who was my personal favorite by far, honestly, um, you know, in an older ballpark, um, you know, I'm sure that presents some challenges. Um, so what, um, you know, promotions do you have coming up or, or what kind of, you know, experience can you get at the ballpark that, you know, is really specific to Modesto? Yeah. So in June, um, well, even taking a step back to this weekend, uh, we have Home Run for Homeless. This is a, a theme night that I've been working on with the Modesto Gospel Mission for three years. Uh, so it's our first year ever doing it. Uh, and it's a little bit scaled back from what I had originally planned just due to timing uh, for event planning and things of that nature. 
but I'm really excited uh, just because it's just been years uh, worth of meetings and discussions and so on and so forth. So uh, we do have that homeless issue here in the Central Valley. So it's nice to be able to support that uh, on our side with more of an uplifting manner. Uh, so that's this month, that's this weekend. And in June, graffiti in Modesto in general uh, is a big time. So we have our own graffiti event here. Uh, we are in discussion with different car clubs to make it a car show. The goal for that eventually, and it's not gonna be this year, but eventually it's just to blow it up. Uh, I want a huge car show where there's hundreds of cars where our entire parking lot is mostly just a car show versus parking, uh, which I know is going to be another logistical nightmare. But uh, that's the goal of that eventually. Uh, July 4th uh, is standard baseball tradition. Uh, and then in August, we have uh, Lucha Libre uh, with our COPA program. So that one's going to be a lot of fun. Post-game, there's going to be luchadores. Uh, actually, the luchadores are going to be here all game. So they're going to be a part of our game day entertainment. But post-game, there's going to be a lucha match uh on our concourse with a ring and everything so we're pretty excited about that one uh we're going to get our mascots involved so they're going to be some luchas in there as well uh and then in september uh it's a heavily focused on our health and wellness program so it's a new program that we started uh coming out of covid uh where we focus on the cleanliness mental health and physical health of the students so uh we're getting different schools involved and uh, really helping them support that because there is a huge mental health issue going around uh, in all levels of education. Uh, if you can only imagine, you know, what they've had to go through over the last couple of years, just um, supporting that fact. So that's gonna be a big push coming to end the season. Yeah, and we'll close with this. Um, you have a almond mascot, a walnut mascot and a pistachio mascot. If you had to expand the uh, mascot roster by one additional nut, what nut would you think you would choose? So uh, our previous general manager, Zach Brockman, and I talked about this endlessly, and I am not going to like claim this idea as my own because it would does emulate from him, but a Johnny Cashew. Uh, once he uh. said that to me, like I was like, yes. And we want it to be like a little kid size. So it's only like eight-year-olds can fit in there or something of that nature, just running around as, as Johnny Cashew. Well, there you have it. Johnny Cashew potentially coming to uh, Modesto <laughs> uh, in the near future or maybe the not so near future, but we hope to see it. Uh, Veronica Hernandez, general manager of the Modesto Nuts. Thanks so much for being here on the show before the show podcast. Thank you guys so much. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Huge thanks to Veronica for stopping by the show today. That was uh, such a cool conversation and somebody who is uh, a pioneer and making a, a whole lot of uh, people proud in Modesto. And uh, I've also always heard, and you know, Ben talked about it. I've always heard of Modesto as just like a gem in a, I don't, I don't want to say a hidden gem, but like, I think when you think about the California league, People probably think about different destinations. Modesto, I've always just heard such good stuff about. And I don't know if people traffic their way to Modesto quite as often as, as maybe making other stops around the Cali, but it's a place where I definitely want to go. I mean, I'm not a huge card show guy, but the way she talked about that, yeah. just having that take over the entire parking lot yeah. sounds awesome. Um, and yeah, no, just knowing that she found such comfort there and, and looked at it as like, hey, this is a good place to be. I think speaks really well of the community of the city. Um, and I can't wait to see with where the nuts go, you know, with her at the helm. Definitely. And um, again, a huge thanks to Veronica for joining the show today. And uh, with that, we're going to move and uh, talk some on-field stuff as we uh, continue rolling along on this week's edition of the show before the show podcast. And uh, we will start with the major league debut 
of the newest top prospect in baseball. And that is Baltimore Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman, who made his big league debut earlier this week. Adley Rutschman now five games into his uh, major league time. He is five for his first 20. 250 batting average. He's got a triple, which was his first major league hit. Uh, somebody on uh, Twitter pointed out that maybe the most misleading first career hit uh, in anybody's life was Frank Thomas, who tripled in his first major league uh, knock. And then I think only tripled 13 more times through the entirety of his career. Um, so kind of funny to see, uh, you know, a catcher getting a triple as his first big league hit. Uh, Matt Wieters, the previously highly, uh, most highly touted for Adley Rutschman, uh, who makes his major league debut just three years after being drafted uh, in the first round as the first overall pick of the 2019 draft out of Oregon State. Uh, friend of the podcast, Adley Rutschman, he's also played at a whole bunch of different levels this year because he got that late start to the season with the injury coming out of spring training, but he kicked things off at high A with Aberdeen, moved through Bowie. He only played three games uh, with the Bay Sox, but obviously proved he was more than okay and ready to go there. He went four, five for 12 uh, in a short time in double A, then moved up to triple A and, uh, you know, more than held his own there. He only hit 233, but he had an OPS of 819. Um, this is a, a guy who I think we've known for a while was pretty much going to be on one of those fast tracks to the big leagues. And, three years into your career, one of which was a pandemic in which we had no minor league season. Uh, you know, this is a guy graduating uh, from the prospect class, not officially as of yet, but making his big league debut basically as quick as you can as a catcher. Yeah. I mean, and just to add to your uh, triples list, I think Manny Machado also opened his career yes, with he did a triple. With the Orioles. So there seems to be something with uh, Orioles prospects and beginning their, their uh, careers with a three bagger, something to look for when Gunnar Henderson eventually debuts, whether this year or next year. Um, but yeah, with Adley Rutschman getting to the major leagues, I mean, uh, it depends on who you talk to. I think the Orioles brought them up, brought him up as quickly as they thought they could. Obviously the triceps injury had something to do with it this year. Um, he was definitely a candidate to be on the opening day roster before that. He certainly seems like he was trending that direction. I know there are a lot of people in baseball who thought he could have been up last year, having climbed from double a to triple a and held his, you know, uh, Held himself pretty well at both levels there. He's here now. He came up last Saturday uh, and kind of a, an interesting announcement. It came at like 8 a.m. So a lot of us across the country, whether you're on the East Coast, West Coast, any points in between Central Mountain, we're waking up to the news that Adley Rutschman is a major leader, um, which was kind of sh not shocking because we were wondering when it was going to happen. And I always stood by that. I thought it was going to be before June. So that fit within the timeline. Uh, major so far is seen pitches. He's seeing about five pitches per plate appearance, um, which is on the high side. And that's not a huge surprise given what we knew about Adley Rutschman in the minor leagues. You look at his stops this year between Aberdeen and Bowie and Norfolk. He was walking more than he struck out at every stop. And that kind of makes me hopeful that Adley Rutschman can avoid some of these pitfalls that some of these other major leaguers have had this year as rookies. You look at Bobby Wood Jr., you look at Julio Rodriguez, Spencer Torres. Uh, those guys are all quality hitters but they struggled out of the gate. Julio since turned it around. Bobby Witt Jr. kind of in fits and starts. We're still waiting for the breakout from Torque. But Adley Rushman knows the strike zone as well as anybody. I think a lot of that has to do with his ability as a catcher uh, and his work back there and how good of a defensive catcher he is. He knows when a pitch is in the zone and he's going to swing at it when it's in the zone or try to make good contact. Um, he's not going to swing at something that's not his pitch. Um, so, you know, that's how you end up with a, a triple like that. We don't expect many triples from him going forward. He's a 30 grade runner, but uh, he can certainly impact the ball really well. Defensively, he's going to be a fit amazingly quickly. Uh, one of my favorite things about Adley Rutschman, whenever you watch him defensively, yes, he's a great framer and I've seen him steal a few strikes with the O's so far. He has a pretty good arm, although he hasn't been able to show off that as much so far in Baltimore, but he's a great communicator behind the plate. Every inning, at the end of the inning, he goes right up to the pitcher. He's not going to the dugout. He's not going to have the conversation in the dugout. He immediately has thoughts on how the inning went, and he communicates it immediately uh, to, to the guy coming off the mound, and they have that conversation together coming into the, the dugout. Um, so every pitcher who works with him loves doing so. Now it's the major league side. We're still waiting for Grayson Rodriguez to, to join him in Baltimore. That should be coming Maybe within weeks, if not sooner, we'll see the way he's pitching at Norfolk right now. He's certainly looking close to major league ready, if not there already. 
Um, but yeah, this is this was a really exciting moment in prospectum just to see Adley Rutschman make that debut and to see the energy and electricity he brought to Baltimore. Tyler, can you remember like a better debut moment in recent memory when that when he came on and just looked around the entire yeah. field? Yeah, it was pretty dang cool. Um, and, you know, to get a, a handshake from the home plate umpire, to get a standing ovation from the crowd. One thing that was interesting, uh, I think the announced attendance that night was just over 18,000 in Baltimore. And uh, there was a tweet that said, and this may well be the reason behind the 8 a.m. promotion news, uh, but there was a tweet that said the Orioles sold over 7,000, 7,500 of those tickets after that news dropped the morning of his major league debut. Um, so that was some pretty cool stuff too. And uh, for O's fans, this is, you know, you've been wandering in the baseball desert for a while and uh, Adley Rutschman and, uh, and Grayson Rodriguez and, and DL Hall and all these players that are uh, coming up or have arrived there. That is uh, some promise to be looking forward to. And uh, for Adley Rutschman, a guy who, you know, we had on the show uh, and really loved talking to a couple of summers ago. Uh, very exciting to see him making that next step and uh, and for O's fans as well. So um, strike two leads us into the step for him uh, on the prospect rankings list, which is that Bobby Witt Jr., along with a whole bunch of other prospects, have now graduated from their uh, prospect status. And so with that, updates to the new uh, top 100 prospects list here in 2022, as Adley Rushman is the new top overall prospect in Major League Baseball. Uh, we talked about this a little bit last week with who was moving up, who was moving down. Um, Sam, anything else big on the top 100 updates that we should look for? Yeah, I'll uh, just touch on a few things real quick. Um, I, this was a little bit of a refresh. It's not a whole re-rank. We didn't vote on all top 100 prospects all over again. Um, so those looking for, like, why is so-and-so still ranked pretty high? Unless we came up with a reason to really drop them or move them up, we pretty much held rank on a lot of these guys. So I know people are looking at our list right now and wondering, well, Anthony Volpe hasn't gotten off to a great start, but he's still number five. What's up with that? I think it's somebody transitioning to a new level. Um, a lot of the tools are still there. Yes, he's struggled on some breaking pitches early. Um, we're hopeful that he can turn it around. It's been a low BABIP for him there. Once that normalizes, what will the numbers look like? Well, let's see. Um, but we're still big believers in Anthony Volpe. We're not going to drop him 30 starts after, uh, you know, moving to double A at age 21 and struggling a little bit out of the gate. Um, so a lot of these names are going to be in similar spots, but what do I want to focus on right now is the new names we added to the back of the list. Cause like Tyler said, we had several graduations. We also had some guys moving out completely of the list. Six O Sanchez has dropped out Emerson Hancock, Greg Jones of the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, so amongst those who are new top 100 prospects as of this refresh, Brian Bayo, a right-handed pitcher of the Boston Red Sox. Ken Waldachuk, a left-handed pitcher of the New York Yankees. Pete Crow Armstrong, an outfielder for the Chicago Cubs. Zach Geloff, a third baseman for the Oakland Athletics. Yvonne Herrera, who just debuted in the majors uh, these past couple of days. A catcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. And Hunter Brown, a right-handed pitcher for the Houston Astros. Uh, Bayo and Waldachuk made the biggest jumps. Bayo's now at number 84. Waldachuk's at number 91. Bayo is a 23-year-old right-hander. He's got a fastball slider changeup, all of which are above-average pitches. He's already moved from double-A AA to triple-A. I believe he struck out at least 10 batters in each of his first triple-A starts. Um, you know, it, it was mostly inexperience for him coming into the year. We needed to see how it would play at the upper levels. It's certainly playing right now. Um, as of when I wrote this, he had a 1.82 ERA and 52 strikeouts over 39 and two-thirds innings. Those numbers have only gotten better uh, since he moved to Worcester. So really promising stuff from Bayo. And at a time right now when the Red Sox need pitching help, yes, he only arrived at Worcester, but he's certainly putting himself in a place to debut in the second half of the season. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But if things continue to trend like they have, and he is stretched out, he is throwing six innings, I could certainly see him in Fenway uh, by the end of maybe even July. Uh, Ken Waldachuk with the Yankees. Broke down his stuff a couple of weeks ago when I went to see him at Somerset. Uh, I didn't see him pitch, but I did talk to him and I broke down some video with him. Check out his whirly if you get a chance. The Yankees system pitches what's called a whirly. It's essentially a slider, but it really just glides really late and breaks really hard um, going arm side. Right-handed pitchers will throw it. Left-handed pitchers will throw it. They use a two-seam grip. 
it seems to really work for Waldschuk. One thing that stood out to me is when I talked to him, he said basically he aims to the middle and he has pitches that go northeast, northwest, southeast, and southwest. So basically he just banks on the pitch moving in a certain direction. But if it if he aims middle, he can get it to the corners based off that movement. It's really impressive stuff. The fastball works well. The changeup, I think, is a pretty solid pitch. Again, he has a curveball, but also that whirly is really special. Um, so we made him a top 100 prospect. By the way, like said, a whirly, also known as a sweeper uh, by some organizations, there are some really interesting stories that are uh, all across the baseball media landscape. Uh, the Athletic did a story on the Yankees pitch, uh, the yep. Whirly. Uh, Yahoo Sports had a story on the sweeper. Uh, Sports Illustrated had a story on the sweeper. Uh, there are some really interesting stuff. And it's it's almost, it's like a slurve. Uh, in a lot of ways, which used to be kind of a pejorative, like a derogatory, like, well, he doesn't know if this pitcher, if this pitch is a slider or a curveball. And now it's sort of developing itself into its own pitch. And it's a really interesting movement across baseball because, you know, when was the last time a new breaking ball was invented? <laughs> like it's, it's interesting that, that teams are emphasizing this as its own distinct offering now. Yeah, it was funny. I was talking to a friend of mine over the weekend and we were bowling. And he was trying to put spin on the ball, as, you, as some people do. I, I, I bowl straight down the lane. But he was like, this is essentially a curveball, right? And I was like, no, it's not really because you're sliding horizontally. Yeah. A curveball is more vertical. And then I just, I'm like, I'm going to nerd out on you for a second here. A lot of guys will just say it's a breaking ball. Yeah. Like, the pitch classification, we tend to think of it in scouting grades and scouting reports. And it's got to be in a certain box. For some pitchers, it doesn't matter what exactly you call it. They have what they have specific movement on it. They want to move it a certain way. You can call it whatever you want as long as it moves consistently and they know where it's going and they can land it for strikes or land it for swings and misses. Um, that's the important thing. So we're getting into this area, whether you call it the whirly, whether you call it the sweeper, whether you have a completely different breaking pitch that seems to work for you and nobody else. It, it, we're getting into a kind of an exciting time for pitching and deciding like, we don't need to pitch this one slider. As long as it works for you, it works for you. And, and um, so Ken Waldachuk, a perfect example. Whirly, much better name than Sweeper, by the way. Whirly is way more fun. Um, and uh, that moves us to uh, strike three on this week's episode of the show before the show. Also, uh, very good broadcaster hack to, to just call breaking pitches, breaking pitches. If you don't know if it's a slider, a curveball, sweeper, a whirly, whatever, just call it a breaking ball. I've also noticed off speed because sometimes yeah, you get speed. if it's off the change up or the, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, strike <laughs> three this week. Uh, we wanted to just kind of refresh a conversation that we have periodically on uh, the show before the show podcast, which is about player development across the game of baseball uh, and what it means. Um, when a top prospect reaches the big leagues, you know, somebody like Adley Rutschman, you're so excited to see him at the major league level that you think this is it. Adley's here. We're finally going to just keep this dude on the, on the squad forever. You know, Adley Rutschman is still only 24 years old. Uh, if you're an Orioles fan, your thought is we got this guy, you know, we might be able to see him in an O's uniform from now until he's 40 years old. We got 15 play, whatever it is. Um, we are seeing across the game of baseball yet again, development is not always linear. And this is a, a conversation that we have from time to time uh, when we especially discuss top prospects reaching the major leagues. So I want to highlight some guys around baseball and Sam, just have you talk about, you know, what it means when we see these top prospects graduate uh, and where they go from making that first step in their, their big league careers. We have seen some really impressive major league debuts this year. We've seen some guys who have made the climb, to the big league level and immediately kind of asserted themselves as, okay, I can play here. Um, there are five guys who I want to discuss who we came into the season with our eyes set on. Adley Rushman, obviously, is one of them. We've talked about him already. Um, two other guys who are in American League organizations as well. Spencer Torkelson is now 40 games into his major league career. He's actually at 39. 
but I got a text from a buddy the other day that was like, man, I don't know what to make of the Tigers anymore. Riley Green's hurt. Casey Mize just got sent down. Derek Skubal seems like maybe he's the ace. Spencer Torkelson may or may not be good. Uh, I don't know what to make of this team. And I said, you got to pump the brakes on it, though. Spencer Torkelson's had 140 major league plate appearances. And right now, his slash line is 183, 293, 317. It's a 610 OPS. Uh, he does have eight extra base hits, four homers, four doubles out of his 22 hits in total. Um, walked 17 times, 39 strikeouts. Are the numbers great? No, they're not. Bobby Witt Jr., just about the exact same numbers-wise. 40 games played, 222, 264, 405 is his slash line and 163 plate appearances. Going back a year to a guy who made his big league debut last year, Jared Kelnick continues to struggle at the major league level. Last year, 93 games, he hit 181 with an OPS of 615. This year, 30 games, 140 average, an OPS of 510. Uh, and he's been sent back to the minor leagues. And then you see guys like Julio Rodriguez, uh, who obviously we are big fans of. We're big fans of all these guys uh, on the show. Most of them we have talked to on the show. Uh, actually, all of them, I believe, we have talked to for the uh, the show before the show podcast. But, um, you know, for somebody like Julio Rodriguez, Julio came into this season made his major league uh, debut, and in the month of April, really, really struggled. 205, 284, 260. And Julio was getting rung up on bizarre pitches, and Mariners fans had no idea what to make of you know this kid who obviously had so much talent, couldn't catch a break from a strike zone, couldn't catch a break from you know lacing balls to the outfield just for highlight reel catches. But in the month of May, Julio was turned into Julio, and this is what he does at every single level. 315, 351, 522, the slash line this month. Uh, he's got five homers this month after not hitting one last month. I mean, this is what we have come to expect from him, but it just goes to show, you know, Jared Kelnick is right on that same level as Julio Rodriguez, talent-wise, makeup-wise, uh, future big league profile-wise. He hasn't figured it out yet at the big league level. Julio Rodriguez is in the process of doing that. And it just shows these things do not happen in the same method and they do not happen at the same pace for everybody across the game of baseball. Um, and sometimes that's really tough to digest when you're somebody who just wants your team to be good. And that's so understandable from a fan perspective, but I think you can pump the brakes a little bit on guys like Spencer Torkelson. Uh, they're going to be fine. Yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating time in baseball. There was an athletic story about this recently, and it was mostly focused on the Mariners for the reasons you were talking about there, Tyler. On one hand, you have Julio Rodriguez, who definitely you can see the turnaround happening in real time, and Jared Kelnick, who, you know, it's gone the other way, now at AAA Tacoma um, and not doing particularly well there either. We sometimes forget that minor leagues lost an entire season in 2020. A lot of guys worked out at the alternate site. A lot of guys worked out at home, did whatever they could. You can't replace real at-bats and or real innings or what have you. That's really difficult. So I think we, we were already entering a time where the major leagues were stratified from AAA. Like the biggest jump in baseball is from AAA to the major leagues. Sometimes we talk about it being from high A to double A, but it's really from AAA to the major leagues. Now you're going from not only are these guys more experienced, but they have more recent at bats, more innings pitched, more like they've relatively fresher to the game than a lot of these guys coming up. Spencer Torkelson only had one full season in, in minor league baseball before he made this jump. Um, you know, Jared Kelnick lost out on a huge season for at bats in 2020 for him. Julio Rodriguez, same thing. Bobby Wood Jr., it was supposed to be his first full season in, in 2020. Um, so same thing with Adley Rutschman, although Adley, you know, like we've said, he's looked pretty comfortable in the major league so far. Uh, that's a huge factor here. And then you get somebody like Jared Kelnick, who I think, you know, looking at some the way he's performed so far, especially this year, he's hit everywhere he's been. Like going back to you know, his days in Wisconsin, like he's always dominated, no matter how young he is. And now he's hitting a wall where that's not happening. And then you start to force things. And then that's difficult for him to swallow. And Kelnick, I think he needed that demotion to AAA because this is a guy, even going back to his days in Wisconsin, dominated everywhere he played. I mean, he just, he never really knew failure on a baseball field. And that starts to compound when you were facing major league hitters who, you know, know your scouting report better than ever. Uh, this is not a situation where I remember growing up hearing like, hey, if you're a major league hitter and it's your first at bat, 
just swing because they don't know how to deal with you. So they're just going to give you a fastball down the middle. Now we know a lot of information about these guys from the minor leagues. The second they arrive, you they know what pitches work, what pitches don't work against these guys. And again, that compounds and, and you get somebody like Jerry Kilnick striking out 40% of the time um, because the book is out on him and he's getting more frustrated and trying to make up for 200 points of batting average with one swing. Um, moving him down to AAA where, you know, he's still only 22 years old. I think we forget about that sometimes. Uh could be advantageous for him. It's not how he envisioned his career going. It's not how the Mariners envisioned his career going. But if you told me Jared Kelnick was a 22-year-old at AAA, I'd be like, wow, that's good. Good for him. He's there, there earlier than most. Uh, so I think we're going to get, going back to what I was talking about earlier with that lost 2020 season, I would not be surprised if we get into a point where these really talented players have a more jagged start to their career as they're trying to make up for lost time that doesn't make them any less talented. That just speaks more to the era of baseball we're currently in. So that's three strikes on this week's episode of the show before the show. And uh, Josh Jackson going to swing by full disclosure. Uh, I don't know if we have a ghost this week or not. Josh was overwhelmed. Josh was uh, the one who led the charge after uh, Adley Rushman's promotion this weekend. Uh, and he has had a million other projects. He's also got two fantastic stories at redsox.com about the double a Portland rotation, as well as Katie crawl, who is a, a coach on that staff in Portland. Uh, go read those stories. They are outstanding, uh, but Josh has been swamped as of late. So if after the bump out music from this segment plays and you get to hear a ghost. Uh, of the miners for this week. You're welcome. And if not, uh, you'll get it next week. So uh, <laughs> back to wrap up the show coming up next. There will be no ghosts of the miners this week as I've lost my luggage aboard the Baltimore and Ohio. But as you'll recall from last time, this is the question for next time. Which of these happy-go-lucky clubs had a ball in the minors of yesteryear? A. The Shreveport Gassers B. The Port City Jammers C. The Bridgeport Clowns Want to know the answer? Join the fun! Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. That'll just about do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. Uh, before we get out of here, MILB.TV is where you can catch all the top talent across minor league baseball. You can add MILB games to your MLB TV subscription for a very low rate. Uh, we've got the story weekly on which mill games will be on MLB TV, uh, which you can check out at MLB Pipeline. Sam, what are you watching on MILB.TV this week? Yeah, one of my favorite teams in the minors right now is the Biloxi Shuckers. Um, just because I really love their outfield right now, Garrett Mitchell is currently out, but Sal Freelich, their first round pick, the Brewers first round pick from last year is on that team. And one of my favorite prospects in baseball, Joey Weimer, uh, is also in that Pensacola team. All three of those guys are outfielders. Um, so it's a really special mix there in Biloxi. If you haven't seen Joey Weimer swing a bat, please do. Uh, I described it elsewhere as watching a tornado swing. Um, and it's just, it's so kinetic. It's so energetic. It's so much fun to watch. I would love to see him in a home run derby sometime. Maybe he wouldn't tire himself out just because there's a lot of moving parts leads to some swing and miss, miss issues. But when he makes contact, the ball goes a long way and he's got an electric arm from right field. Uh, it's easily 70 grade could be 80 grade. He has a lot of outfield assists to begin the year. Joey Weimer, one of my favorite players, Biloxi will be playing at Pensacola next week. Um, so that means hopefully we'll get to see that Shuckers lineup go up against Yuri Perez, the Marlins right-handed pitcher, who's only 19 years old, but jumped to double A to start the year. And he's really holding down the fort really well so far to start the year. Uh, 3.71 ERA. That might not be great, but he's struck out 50 batters, walked only nine in 34 innings. He's looking like somebody who belongs at double A, never mind somebody who's a teenager at double A. Uh, so seeing that right-handed arm going against a right-handed bat, and Joey Weimer, that's going to be must-see MILB TV in my eyes. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Right now, we don't know exactly when Perez is going to start. Um, they had put him on a, like, once a week. Like, it was every week the same day. Uh, the last time he pitched was May 25th, um, so the day before our recording of this, which would probably put him in line to start next Wednesday, but just keep an eye out 
uh, on Pensacola's announcements because you're definitely going to want to watch Yuri Perez when you get the chance. Tyler, what do you got your eye on? So uh, I am headed to double A as well to the Texas league where the Frisco Rough Riders will be home uh, to take on the San Antonio missions this week. They'll be on the road to Wichita to take on the wind surge coming up next week. But that Frisco team, uh, they've got two bats that are really, really fun and exciting to watch. And that's Justin Foscue and Ezekiel Duran. Um, And that is to take nothing away uh, from somebody like JP Martinez, who has also been crushing double uh, A Texas League pitching uh, throughout the season there. But Foscu and Duran, I feel like every week when I am writing the uh, the MLB Pipeline Prospect Team of the Week, one of those guys is either on the team being discussed as a potential member of the team, getting votes as a potential member of the team. Uh, so far this season, Foscu batting 293, 411, 522, and 933 OPS. Duran, 305, 355, 571. Uh, he's got seven homers so far this year. Um, you know, they got other guys on that roster who have been, uh, you know, lighting the, the ball up all over the place as well. Blaine Krim this year has nine homers and a 911 OPS. So Frisco has a lot of offensive talent. They've also got some interesting pieces uh, on the pitcher's mound as well. Jack Leiter has struggled so far this season. He's got a 6.38 ERA, but a guy who comes with a whole lot of promise. And, you know, so often guys in their debut professional seasons are trying to learn how to do so many different things all at the same time that you kind of throw the numbers out the window to a certain extent. And yes, Jack Leiter has struggled a bit. Uh, I think Jack Leiter is going to be more than fine uh, in his baseball life, but that team will be at home taking on San Antonio this weekend on the road next week uh, at Wichita. And one thing, if you uh, hear this um, and you are in the Frisco area, and if you hear it on Friday when we post, uh, Friday from 1 to 5, um, the uh, that's in the afternoon, uh, the Rough Riders will be teaming up with uh, an area organization, Carter Blood Care to host a blood drive uh, in lots A and B at Dr. Pepper Ballpark to help the Uvalde community. Um, those who donate will receive a, a T-shirt and a Rough Riders ticket voucher. So if you're in the Frisco area, you can do that and uh, and help the, the folks affected by um, the mass shooting this week in Uvalde, Texas. So uh, the minor league baseball community um, coming together to try to help uh, a little bit in a, a dark and difficult situation. And um, with that, we will uh, wrap up this week's episode of the show before the show you can get in touch as always podcast at milb.com you can find sam on twitter at sam dykstra milb uh, i am at tyler mon benjamin hill at ben's biz and uh huge thanks again to veronica from modesto for swinging by the show and for sam i'm tyler we'll talk to you next week 